in the Bible, names and numbers have significance. They have importance. For example, God gave Abraham, changed it from Abram to Abraham. Abram means father of a nation. Abraham means father of many nations. There's another example for it. In the Jewish culture, sometimes they would wait two to three years to name their child because they wanted to make sure that the child represented the characteristics of what they were going to name them. Sometimes in the Jewish culture, they would name something, name a child based on an event, like Ichabod. During the time when Uzziah was the king, that the Ark of Covenant left, taken by the Philistines. And the mother called this child that she just gave birth to Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord left. Names mean something. And I want to ask you something. What are you allowing to name you? Are, are you allowing failures from the past, feelings that you may have? The only person that needs and has the authority to really give us a name is God. Would you agree? Whoever we allow to name us has authority over us. You know, and when Judah was taken to Babylon, changed the names of Daniel, gave him a new name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That wasn't their names. Changed their names. So names mean something in the Bible. Also, numbers mean something. For example, the number 10 means testing. Everybody say testing. God um, tested Pharaoh in Egypt and gave them what? How many plagues? Ten plagues. He was testing Pharaoh's heart. Here's another one. The Ten Commandments. Everybody say Ten Commandments. That's another test. That's our opportunity to either follow God's way or follow our own way. The Ten Commandments represents a test. Here's another test. Everybody say tithe. That means 10 or 10%. So in the Bible, it teaches us to, when we have income, and I know sometimes as a student, we don't have much income, right? Is that true? Man, I remember when I was in college, peanut butter and jelly was my best friend. Amen. I'm, you know what? I'm surprised that I'm not tired of peanut butter and jelly. I can still eat. Me some peanut butter and jelly. Man. Anyway, so sometimes you're, you're, you're kind of poor when you're going through school, but that's all right. Um, where was I? Yes, yeah, yeah. So in the Bible, it teaches you that you need to give back 10% of your income. And let me tell you, that's one of the biggest tests I've ever had to deal with. Because what tithing does, it challenges the selfishness and the self-reliance that we have. See, God is not concerned about us having things, things and stuff, right? He just doesn't want the things and stuff to have us. So 10 means something. The number 12, it means the government of God. So there were 12 disciples. 12 tribes of Israel. The number six, anybody can tell me what number six means? Good. It means, good. It means that's the number of man. Humanity was created on day six of creation. And if you go, if you go all the way to Revelation, the Antichrist, a human that is infueled 
with Satan, Antichrist, he had the, the mark of the beast in the future, and it was 666. Numbers have meaning eight. So God created the world in six days, right? And then on the seventh day, he rested. And then when you start over, it's new beginnings. So we know that the number seven means what? Say again. Rest, yes. Perfection. Number seven means perfection. It means um, completeness. Completeness. I think it's very interesting that on day six, I believe the woman was the last thing God created. That all before, God said it was good. But after he created the woman, he said, it's very good. Very good. The number five is where I'm trying to get to. The number five means grace. Grace. Think about the first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch is five. What else we have is five. The five-fold ministry. What is the apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, the prophet? So God, through the Holy Spirit, has given gifts in the body to equip us to do the work of the ministry, the fivefold ministry. And he does it through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I have Tyler. Thank you. You're so patient, brother. I've learned about the scale. I don't know how to play it yet, but I'm going to learn it. The pentatonic scale. So in the major scale, I know this. In, in the major scale, it has seven notes, right? Seven notes in the major scale, in the minor scale, seven notes. And then it starts over. It's kind of like the day of creation. That's pretty cool. Man, I never thought of that. Anyway. But I'm learning that the pentatonic scale, if you learn it, it makes it easier for you to do some fun stuff musically. Sounds really good. So could you play just something using the pentatonic scale? Hey, uh, so was that good? Can we give him a hand? Woo! Psh. All right, play another tune using the pentatonic scale. Something else. He's, he's bad, ain't he? <laughs> he's stellar. Um, Nate White and, and Tyler, oh, my goodness. They, they like, oh, my goodness. Sometimes when I see them play, I'm like, what am I doing on the guitar? Man. And I'm like, I'm lost. But anyway, okay, so can you try to play a tune using just the major scale? Nice. So let me ask you a question. Was playing that tune harder to do than in the pentatonic scale? So here's the lesson. When we live in God's grace, it's easier. It's easier. And you think about 
that major scale where he just played, he played a tune using a major scale. It had seven notes in that scale. And that number is for perfection. And sometimes what happens to us as humans, we get caught up trying to be perfect instead of relaxing in God's grace. And God wants to tell us tonight, because you guys are pretty cool. I mean, but in the future, in the things that God has for you, can we give Tyler a hand? Thank you, sir. The thing that God, the things that God has for us in the future, he wants us to learn more and more how to walk in God's grace. Everybody say walk in God's grace. So you probably tell, you're probably saying maybe you're saying, well, LT, you know, I know about grace. It was because of grace that I was saved, right? I know about grace. I'm already in grace. But that's saving grace. What about sanctification, sanctifying grace? Well, we're growing and learning how to become more and more conformed into the image of God. Anybody like lasagna like I do? Man, you get the right amount of cheese on the top with that marinara and the other stuff that goes in it, the white. That stuff good, ain't it? you like, man. Whew. And so would you imagine eating lasagna just with one layer? <laughs> Does it make any sense? That don't make no sense. Yeah, that's pizza. But it don't got the, like, the crust at the It's still not, you know, good enough. God's saying there's more layers of grace that I want you to dive into. What about the type of grace that when you're in a stressful situation, chaos going on all around you, and you're able to have peace in the midst of that situation, the type of peace that don't make any sense. But in order to tap into that, we have to partner with God and trust. Everybody say trust. There's something special about grace. It's not just about grace because the Bible says that Jesus came in grace and what? Grace. He came full of grace and truth. We really can't separate it, but tonight we're just focusing on grace. There's something very special about grace. And I believe that God is more concerned and motivated about getting us deeper in grace than we are. Think about the story of with Apostle Paul when he had the thorn. We don't, I don't, we don't really know what that thorn was. We don't know if it was like some type of physical, like boils or some kind of rash. We don't know if it, it represented some religious leaders that was giving them trouble. We don't know if it, it could have been a snake bite that was giving them trouble. We don't know what it means, but we do know something, don't we? We know it was hurting him. And he said, Jesus can you take this thorn away from me? And what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient. He asked him the second time, hey, Jesus, you know, this, I don't know if you know, but uh, uh, this really hurting and stuff and everything. Can you take this away from me? My grace is sufficient. Three times. The second time. The third time. Can you take this away from me? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. And I believe being able to connect with higher levels of living in God's grace, we have to go to higher levels of trusting him. 
See, Paul had just came back from the, the Bible said, the third heaven. Seen things, heard things that he wasn't supposed to repeat. And I believe God allowed that pain to, to come on him so he wouldn't get prideful. So he wouldn't start trusting in himself. So grace is very important. God wants us to trust him. And so we're going to see, everybody turn to Matthew 1. I have to kind of, um, like a full disclosure, um, for the book of Matthew, many, many years, I would not read that first part. It had all those names in there. And I'm like, wow, all these names up in here. I'm like, wow. I mean, what? <laughs> so I would skip down to like, you know, Jesus' birth. Okay, yeah, that may, yeah, I can deal with that. It's funny, the power of stories. So when I was in um, grade school, um, I did not like history. Just terrible. You know, you have to remember all, memorize all these dates and all these people and all these names and stuff. I'm like, why is this? Why do I need history? And so then I went to college when I was stationed in Fort Campbell, and this little lady, man, she would tell stories. And man, I remember one time she was talking about the pilgrims and the Quakers. And it felt like I was eating grits right along with them. <laughs> Sorry. But I felt like I was right there. She was telling stories. And then from there, I was like, I love history. Man, if we know the context. So I've been learning here recently, each one of these names have a story tied to it. Each one of them. So we're going to do a little study on five people five people that are mentioned in Matthew. And I kind of, Matthew 1, I kind of see it as like God's signature of grace. Kind of like John Hancock, right? His huge signature. What was he saying when he signed his name so big? Huh? Yes, he was proud. And he was saying, you know what? If the, the the, the Brits come over here, the Red Jackets come over here. I care about and I know what I'm doing by signing this document. I believe in it and I stick to it, even if it's for my death. And this is the kind of stuff that God did for us. He loved us so much that he was willing to put his name on the line, his life on the line so we can have life eternal. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, there's five women. Everybody say five women. So in genealogies, this was unheard of in the Jewish culture. They usually use the father's name. Um, not, they, don't, they didn't mention any women. So in the Jewish culture back then, the women weren't really respected. So God, I think God was kind of saying, I don't know what y'all been doing, but that's not how I set things up, right? Women have value too, right? They're not beneath us so we can stomp on. Even in Genesis, the woman was taken out of Adam's rib, right? Why do you think? It was a picture for us, for husbands, that we protect our wife. Wives need to be under our arms for protection, not beneath our feet to crush them. So anyway, that's, that was a rabbit trail. But five women. So the first one that was mentioned, and I think it's very interesting that it was five. The first one that was mentioned was Tamar. Now, who is Tamar? I might have to go. I might need glasses, y'all. Y'all just pray for me. Pray for me. All right. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, 
um, by Tamar. That's verse 3, I believe. Oh, man, I'm going to have issues. Anyway, so Tamar. So was Judah, Judah Tamar's Judah's wife? No. Whew. You remember this, don't you? <laughs> this is a crazy story. So I believe Judah is like one of the, the first, like, on paper, you know, they had, like, a paper for it. He was like the official black sheep of the 12 sons of Israel because he did something totally opposite of what he was supposed to do. And God told him, don't marry foreign women. So Judah, I think when he was about 40 years old, moved to Canaan and married a, uh, a Canaanite wife, and he had three sons. And the Bible said that the first son, you, you ever, like, hear someone say, man, you're going to get struck by lightning if you do that. I've never seen this in the Bible until, like, some months ago. The Bible said that the first son was so wicked that God struck him down and he died. Then the second son, so that first son was married to Tamar. That's where Tamar comes from. She was a Canaanite woman. So, so the second son, because it was part of Jewish history. I'm not boring, y'all. Is, is this all right? Okay, good, good, good. All right. Um, so the second son, it was part of Jewish tradition to if your brother died, you're supposed to take care of the widow, your sister-in-law, and, and basically take responsibility and have kids, you know? And so the second son had relations with her and, lack of a better term, pulled out because he didn't want that responsibility. God got upset at him and killed him. Didn't it say that? You remember that? So Judah's like, you know what? I, you know, two of my sons got killed because of Tamar. No. Two of my sons. So he had one more son, and the whole deal was, and Judah said, okay, later, later on, because he was younger, later on, I want to, I'll give the young son to you, but he never did. So what Tamar did, because he knew Judah wasn't going to give the young son to her, when Judah was on a journey, Tamar met him dressed up as a prostitute. Judah, you know, advanced to her, and they get together. Judah the whole time doesn't know it's Tamar. That is his, his daughter-in-law. So he comes back. She's pregnant with twins. And, and back then, if you were found to have a baby without, you know, being married. They would stone you, so they were about to stone you, stone her. And then they said, and then Tamar was like, well, that's, that's cool, you, you, you stoned me, but you just need to know who the staff belongs to. And it was Judas. And of course, he didn't stone her. So my question is, why does Tamar get the opportunity to be in Jesus' lineage. Tamar. Does that, is that fair for Tamar to be included? <laughs> She's like, don't, don't ask me no question. No. Would you say that was fair? Not really, huh? Because she wasn't even a Jewish person. She was a Canaanite woman. But guess what? This is what God's going to show us, that God's grace isn't based on fairness. God's grace isn't based on fairness. God's grace is based on the essence of who God is, and that's love. I'm starting to, you know, some, some the most arguments I've got in, gotten into with my son was about fairness. That's not fair, Dad. I mean, they got two more cereal, you know, chunks than, than I do. So, you know, that's not fair. I'm like, boy, don't you know we can go get some more cereal and put it in your bowl? What you talking about? It's not fair. 
Okay, I'm going to step out on a limb. Can I step out on a limb? I believe the language of fairness could be the language of the devil. Of course, the language of God is the language of love. I want to show you something real quick. Um, you can put your finger in Matthew 1. Let's go to Genesis. I want to show you what the devil did because he's the one who focuses on fairness. I don't know if I had those in the slides. That's okay. So since I can't see, can somebody read um, Genesis 3, start in verse 1, and I'll, I'll stop you when um, it's time. Somebody, please. You will? All right. Want to read loud or you want the microphone? Psh, let's get the microphone. Now the servant... The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you cannot eat any from any tree in the garden? Let me, I'm going to stop. So one of the first steps to the, uh, the devil's temptation is he wants to get you to doubt God's word. The same, he's asking the same question in our culture now. Did God really say that? Did, did God really say? Anyway. He said that to, to Eve. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit from, of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or, or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, said the serpent to the woman. In fact, God knows when you will eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Yeah. Wasn't that good? What was Satan saying? It's not fair for you not to be able to eat that tree. Because if you eat it, man, you're going to have wisdom and knowledge and all that stuff. And guess what else? You're going to be like God. What? You know what? They were already like God. They were already like God. In Genesis 1, it says, let us, Elohim, the creator God, let us make man in our image. Check this out. God made us as much like himself as he could. And this is going to tie into what we're going to talk about a little later. But what's the reason why God wanted to make mankind? What do you think the reason is? This could be crowd participation. What do you think that is? Anybody? To worship him, of course. Yes. Yes. Why did he want to make mankind in his own image? He, yes. And this is why, I think this is too why he wanted to do it. He wanted kids. He did. He wanted kids that would be kings over the earth. You see in Genesis 1, 26, it says you will rule over this, you will rule over that, you will rule over that. All stuff dealing with the world, you rule over it. God's the king of everything, but I want children that are kings over the earth. Made in his image. Anyway, so the, the, the language of the enemy, I believe, oftentimes is the language of fairness. But we, God wants to share with us that God's grace is not based on fairness. Because with fairness, it just meets you halfway. You know, I'm, I'm just going to meet you halfway. But what does God's love, what does grace do? It goes the extra mile. So even in the kingdom, with the Roman soldier, if Jesus say, if a Roman soldier said, you, you know, walk with him one mile, what, did, what, did, what does Jesus tell him to do? 
Huh? Walk two miles. What is he saying? Go the extra mile. Grace is about going the extra mile. It's not about fairness. See, when God came, he initiated contact with us. When he came and initiated contact, he didn't just go to, like, to the line. He went past the line and was like, you need my help. I love you, and so I'm going to die for you. Right? That's what he did. So let's, let's, I might need to hurry up. Am I doing all right, Pastor Tom? <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the, the second woman. Her name was, she was Rahab. You remember where Rahab came from? Jericho. How did she get to be in the lineage? I mean, she wasn't Jewish. It says, the Bible t tells us that Rahab was a prostitute. But God was dealing with her, and because she trusted in the Lord, she became an Israelite in her heart. And do you know who Rahab's son is? Boaz. Now, how is that? So I think her husband, Rahab, hooked up with Solomon, and they had um, Boaz. But Rahab doesn't really belong in there according to fairness. She doesn't belong in the lineage. What is God telling us? Grace isn't based on fairness. It's based on my love for humanity. You agree? Wow. Ruth. What was, what was Ruth's nationality? Huh? Somebody said it. Moabite. And where did the Moabites come from? Moab. And where did Moab come from? <sighs> so you remember Lot? Sodom and Gomorrah? The angel said, hey, don't turn around. Keep, just, keep, just keep walking. Just keep, keep, keep your eyes straight. Keep your eyes straight. And Lot turned, I mean, Lot's wife turned around. She, she turned into a pillar of salt. And they had two daughters. They had two daughters. So they, you know, and they were living in caves, and they devised this plan. They were like, there are no other men, ever, in, in, you know, in the world. No more men. So that was, they're exaggerating. But anyway, so why don't we get our dad drunk so we can have some, some kids? And so the first daughter, the eldest daughter came, and that's where Moab came. And then the young, so it, so the next daughter came, and that's where we got Amnon. And Israel was had a lot of run-ins with the Moabites. So Ruth is a Moabite. Come came from Lot. It doesn't seem like she belongs in that lineage either, but she's there. And what was the next, what's the next woman you see in, in Matthew 1? Who? Bathsheba. And we know what happened right there, right? That wasn't a, so David basically killed her husband because he couldn't cover up his, his mess and had her as his wife. A whole lot of messed up stuff, right? A whole lot of scandalous Stuff going on is letting us know that even God's grace is scandalous because it's an outrage that a God would still try to come and save a people like us. So why why is all why is this why am I harping on grace is not fair? I believe when we understand the depths of how much He loved us and what He did for us. It will cause us to love him more. It will cause us to be willing to sacrifice for others and God even more. 
Do you remember the, the woman that came in that, that broke this expensive oil on Jesus' feet? And, you know, Judas, we can tell Judas was having issues, right? He's like, why are you use all that money on that? You know, I mean, that, that ain't make sense. Why you do that? And basically Jesus said, whoever's been forgiven of much will love much. And so once we understand the depth of how much God loves us and how far he extended his grace for us, it's going to cause us to want to sacrifice for him, sacrifice for other people, love him more. Would you agree? What if Mike, everybody know Michael Jordan, right? You right? Well, what if you heard Michael Jordan was looking for you? Would you kind of change your pocket? Michael Jordan, man, do I got on the right shoes? I need to, you know, get my shirt right and, and stuff, put my belt on. Wouldn't you kind of change your posture? Would you make provisions for to see him? Well, we have. Father God pursuing us all day long. In every moment of our life, every season. And God wants to, to just raise up our awareness that we have the king wanting to meet with us. Because he wants to spend time with us. You agree? Is that all right? And the last one, number five, what's the, what's the last Mary. That's scandalous too, right? Like, how'd she get pregnant? I mean, how'd that happen? That, I mean, sh I mean, for real. <laughs> you know, and actually, when you read the story, that Joseph was a picture of God's grace. He was a good man. He had every right, according to fairness, he had every right to have Mary stoned. Because, but because he was a good man, he wanted to protect her and just divorce her secretly. That was an act of grace in and of itself. But, I mean, Mary wasn't supposed to be pregnant on human terms. The Holy Spirit and dwelt, came over her and, and impregnated her with, Jesus Christ. So the first thing, because we're talking about, I believe sometimes we forget the benefits that we have in God's grace. And the first way that we will learn how to flow in the grace that God's given us is the first to remember that God's grace isn't fair. The second one is to remember that God's grace is practical. Everybody say God's grace is practical. What does that mean? Check this out. He gave us five fingers, two hands, and five toes on two hands. It was really practical. I mean, if it would have been three fingers, it wouldn't have worked out right, right? I mean, like, anyway, I'm not trying to be, but I'm just saying God fashioned our hand five fingers for practical use. So God's grace is practical. Say it again, God's grace is practical. So this is a definition of the anointing, which is a work of the Holy Spirit pouring out his grace on us, for us. This is a definition of the anointing that I heard a while back, and it says, the anointing is a special ministry of the Holy Spirit that makes the plans, purposes of God Real, dynamic, and fulfilling in your life. Anointing. Does that sound practical? Every situation that we're in, the anointing is available to us. So there's, I th there's three ways that God's grace is practical. The first way is that it's a gift. Everybody say it's a gift. The Holy Spirit put Jesus in Mary's belly for a gift for us. 
in God's gift to us of life through Jesus Christ was practical because we needed to live. And without Jesus, what? We're dead, right? So God's grace is a gift and is really practical because without God's grace, we ain't no more. I think the reason why God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden after they sinned, after they fell, and wouldn't let them take the tree of life is because they would have been forever, lived forever, and been, would, would have been forever separated from God. So God practically separated that because he wanted to get life to us. So God's grace is practical because it gives us life. God's grace is also practical because he gives us gifts to use for other people. And most of our problems in this world, in this life, will always come in a people package. Everybody say people package. You were, you were designed to help solve somebody else's problems. God has given, packaged you, equipped you with gifts to help solve problems for other people. God needs you as a leader. God needs you as a teacher. God needs you as a doctor. God needs you to influence your sphere. And he wants you to be a problem solver. God's grace is super practical because he wants us to handle practical problems with his anointing. Isn't that awesome? The second way in, I, I'm sorry, I can't see it, but it talks about that Jesus will save them from their sins. Let me back up. I'm going to go somewhere first. So there was a gift, but also it was empowerment for her to be able to do that. God empowers us. It, God's grace is practical because God's grace, his anointing, empowers us to do what we're called to do. I was recently looking at um, a video from Tony Evans, and, and he was, you know, he was traveling as a preacher. And uh, he, was, he was through, going through the airport, had two bags. And he was, like, struggling with the bags and stuff. And then a person kind of stopped him and was like, hey, um, you know you got wheels on, you know, in the bottom of those bags. He was like, huh, huh. oh, yeah, I do have wheels. <laughs> So with God's grace, sometimes the weight doesn't matter. It's just how we carry it. It's how we carry it. And God wants us to, to connect and relate and trust in the, the grace of God so we can carry what he's got us, what he's got called for us. So it's, the Bible says, take my yoke and learn from, learn from me. And back in, in those times, they would have an ox that was trained to, to till the ground. And then what they would do, they would put this young ox that didn't have no home training, no home training at all, but put him with the, the ox that was trained so he would learn how to do what he needed to do. And that's the picture. Jesus said, learn of me. Put my yoke on because my yoke is light and my, lo- my yoke is easy. Sheep, and we are, in the Bible, we are identified as sheep. Sheep, are, we are not supposed to be carrying stuff. Sheep are meant to lay things down. So when we think about God's grace being practical, we need to know that we can put our cares, we can put the weight on Jesus. Isn't that good? And, and, and God's grace is practical because it can help save, it says, save them from their sins. It can help save us from ourselves. How many of y'all know that, you know, sometimes my biggest enemy is myself? <laughs> I heard his quote say, if I can kick the person that, that, 
caused the most trouble in my life, I wouldn't be able to sit down for three weeks. <laughs> Woo! Oh, man. Thank you. Who brought, was this you, Blaze? Thank you, sir. Sorry. So this quote here, this, this is a copy of what I um, picked up from the counseling office um, when me and Tina were waiting to be, be seen by Glenn. Um, and it just struck me. I was like, oh, excellence or perfection. And let me see if I can read it. Excellence is willing to be wrong. Perfection is being right. See the difference? Excellence is freeing. Perfection is demanding. Excellence is what can I give. Perfection is what does it require. Excellence is love. Perfection is fear. Excellence is empowering. Perfection is anger and frustration. Excellence is spontaneous. Perfection is control. Excellence is accepting. Perfection is judgment. Excellence is giving. Perfection is taking. Excellence is confidence. Perfection is doubt. Excellence is a journey. And perfection is a destination. I think we all deal with perfectionism. Do you agree? You know what perfectionism is? It's, say again. <laughs> perfectionism is our yearning to have things perfect like they were before the fall. And we're trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to make it perfect. We're trying to do it. Think about Hitler. He was trying to make some stuff perfect, wasn't he? And he was causing a lot of hell. He was trying to make a perfect race, and many people suffered. The, the, I think the same thing happens to us on a micro scale. We try to make things perfect, and sometimes we're killing ourselves. We're carrying weight that we were never intended to carry. So, man. What's that? 19? I can't even see. Can you read the part where it's talking about, uh, I'm sorry. I should have brought my iPad. Then I would have been able to see it. But anyway, can you read the part that's talking about Emmanuel and worship team? You can come. Yeah, Matthew 1, when it starts talking about Emmanuel. I believe so. Can you start reading there really loud? Thank you. You did a good job reading. Can we give her a hand? This is the last point. And we saw it in there. One of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I love that song that y'all sang. All y'all songs was just amazing. All right. So, this is the third thing that we need to know about God's grace. That God's grace is here right now. God's grace is here right now. You, you may be wondering in your, your heart and just thinking, like, how am I going to get the money to pay for this? 
God has grace for that. You know, like it says, and we can stand. You know, like it says, and there's an app for that. No, there's an app for that. God has grace for that. God has grace for that. You may be, you may be thinking, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to have, if I'm going to have, be able to finish school. God has grace for that. You may be thinking, I'm going to never get married, probably. Guess what? God has grace for that. You may be thinking, you know, I feel awkward around people. It doesn't seem like I connect well. Guess what? God has grace for that. He does. And I believe God knew we were going to be here tonight. He designed this moment. He designed this moment. And he wants you to take the opportunity to go in deeper into his grace. The Bible says for us to grow in grace, not stagnate in grace. And I believe you are special people, and he's getting you ready to be an army for him. But in order for you to do that, he wants you to go deeper. He wants you to go deeper. He wants you to go deeper into his grace. So you have, if you have anything in your heart, if anything spoke to you, I know they're going to have prayer, the prayer team up here. I just want you to come forward, and let's go deeper tonight. Is that all right?